Well, are you ready for the word today? Amen. Amen. Grab your Bibles, open your hearts. I'm excited to begin a new series today called Made for Monday. I've got notes for this series that I wrote in 2018. It's become a joke with my daughters. I've been saying I'm going to preach this series for two years. Today's the day. We're going to do it. It's this, this right now. It's happening. Mally, I wasn't making stuff up. It's happening today. I'm really preaching this. How many of you could just take a wild guess at what the least favorite day of the week is in America? Anybody? Monday, yeah. It's funny how our culture is. You know, we, 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 we live by that 80s song. It's just another manic Monday, right? I wish it was a Sunday. That's my fun day. It's just another manic Monday. And we, we even have acrostics that, that emphasize this reality that some days are better than others, you know, TJIF. We got a whole restaurant industry that reminds us that Friday is a whole lot better than Monday. Thank God it's Friday. Just, just get me to the weekend, right? Just get me to the weekend. Well, I want to speak to you in this series for the purpose of challenging your perspective about your job. I want to challenge your perspective for a few weeks about what it looks like to actually be on mission. I want to challenge you in the area of your calling. And maybe in all of this, we'll even redefine what it looks like to be in ministry. I want to just begin with a statement that may take a moment to digest, but let me say it. Work is good. It's about how many amens I thought I would get. <laughs> Even the one I got was sad. Amen. <sighs> Had to bring us to church today, honey. Listen, I didn't say your job is good. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if your job's good. Maybe, maybe your work is not good. Maybe the work that you do at work is not good. I don't know. I know there's a lot of people that don't do good work, but let me just say work is not evil. It was not a part of the curse. For those of you that are familiar with scripture, especially the book of Genesis, you understand what I mean when I say it's not a part of the curse, because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, there was a curse because of sin that came on Adam and Eve and all of their children, which includes you and I. And in that curse, God said that you would now till the soil by the sweat of your brow, that work is going to be hard, that it's going to be laborious, that it's going to be difficult. It's going to be fruitful, but not without a lot of effort. And that was a part of the curse. But if you go back a chapter before that, what you find is that before there was sin, when Eden was still a perfect place, a perfect state, and God looked at everything and said, it is good. You have to read that and understand that within that summary of everything that is good was an assignment that God had already given Adam to work. He said, I want you to work. And when you look at the last chapter of the Bible, and in my Bible, there's a, a subheading that says, Eden restored. One of these days, the Bible communicates that everything that Jesus purchased on the cross, everything we just celebrated with the bread and the cup, 
is going to be fulfilled. The complete cycle of redemption will be fulfilled when not only are we back in a perfect state, but we're back in a perfect place. God is going to restore Eden. And the Bible says we'll be in that place and just like it was for Adam and Eve, God will dwell among his people. And do you know what the Bible says in Revelation 22? The people are going to do when they have eternal life and they have a perfect, hospitable Eden to live in. It says, and his servants will serve him. Work is good. If you're a note taker, I want to tell you four things. And I recognize that, I mean, this, this is a hard sell. I'm, 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 I'm pushing the sled uphill right now, trying to excite you for a, a series, telling you that work is good. Some of y'all are looking at me like an old cow looking at a new gate. But I want you to grab a hold of some things. Number one, I want you to know today that your work is God's will. This is actually a, a, a thought that I shared a couple years ago in a series called Adulting is Hard. How many of you know adulting is still hard in 2020? We only thought it was hard last time we preached about it. We got, we got it on a whole nother level now. But I want you to understand this principle. We need to come back to it again and again. Your work is God's will. But here's the thing about God's will. God's will is always for your good. It's always for your good. I love Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you like that verse? Come on. Y'all know that is refrigerator magnet material right there. That right? I mean, you can, you can go into a Christian bookstore and you can find a nice canvas print with that verse on it. That's worthy of the bathroom wall. All right, be honest. In a room this big, how many of you have that verse printed somewhere in your house? A t-shirt, a pillow, something. Y'all got it, right? Some of us, I know you do. That's a great verse. I, I love that verse. I want to just tell you a little bit about the context that verse was given in because the reality is that promise from God. When you read it in the context, you understand that it is a reassurance of God's goodness, despite the fact that he was calling people to stay in the same place they were and to continue to work. That's why he said it. See, the reality was that there were some false teachers and prophets that were proclaiming to the Israelites, God is about to get you out of this mess. God's coming quickly. He's going to get you out of it. You don't have to stay here anymore. I know you don't want to be here. I don't know. You don't want to work for those people. You don't want to do that job. God is coming. He's going to get you out of this. But the Lord spoke to Jeremiah and said, go tell them that's not true. In fact, I want you to go and tell them you're going to stay right where you're at for 70 years. And while you're there, I want you to work hard. I want you to work for the prosperity of your family and for the prosperity of this community. I want you to be a blessing to those around you. And, and in light of God saying that, how many of you, which one would you choose? I mean, how many of you think that people are going, you know, I don't, I don't know, Jeremiah. I'm not feeling that. I think, you know, I think we'll go with the, the, you know, the fortune cookie face. Just like, give it to me quick. You know, just tell me what I need to know. And so in light of God saying, no, 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 I want you to stay there. I want you to work. I'm coming for you. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. My plans are 
not to harm you. They're to prosper you. They're to give you a hope and a future. So what God is saying in this moment is, look, God's will for you is work. God's will for you is work. God says, I've called you to be fruitful in the place where you are. Let me give you the second one. Your work is your worship. Your work is your worship. Think about this. Paul the apostle writing to the church in Colossae, he said this, Colossians 3, verse 23. He said, whatever you do, that's an all-inclusive statement. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do, work at it as for the Lord with all of your heart. As a church, we have six core values. We, we've defined six behaviors that we don't want to just um, slide into or, or, or hope that they, they become fruitful. These are six things that we've, we've placed as targets before us. And we have said, this is going to define who we are. This is how we conduct ourselves as, as a local church. We talk often about them, and we'll talk about them in the upcoming new members class. Battle mediocrity, a culture of honor, radical generosity, outward focus. We're better together and an atmosphere of faith. And the first one that I always love to talk about in the new members class is battle mediocrity. And let me just say, it's not a coincidence that I talk about that one first. It matters. Why? It matters because your work is your worship. Your work is your worship. See, I, I, I try to be a gracious person. I do. I, I try hard. I think I am. I feel like I give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm patient with people, but I'm just going to be honest with you. My pet peeve, the hardest place for me to be gracious is when I'm with people that just don't want to put the effort in. I just, I just don't have much of a stomach for people that just don't want to put the effort in. I just, just give it your best. I mean, I don't even mind playing a good game of basketball and getting beat. Unless my team quits halfway through. I don't want to play with quitters. I'll take a loss, but I don't want to play with quitters. I, you have to battle mediocrity and just say, I'm going to give it my very best. I, I, was, at, uh, I was at McDonald's drive through this week with Jeremiah, our drummer, <laughs> and we're in the line at McDonald's, and the guy you know, comes on, can I take your order? And so I ordered a McGriddle. And he responded, is that it? I was like, is that it? Not, would you like anything else? Could I get you a coffee with that? Can I supersize you? you know, is that it? Like, so condescending. I looked at Jeremiah. I said, it's almost like this guy's not being paid to be nice to me. Didn't I say that, Jeremiah? He's literally being paid to be nice to me right now. What's wrong with people? And maybe you work in a place where you go, you know, it's, it's, it's a terrible atmosphere. Can, can, I, can I challenge you? Be the change. Change the atmosphere. Change the Be the one to say, you know what? I'm going to have a good attitude. I, I'm not going to let the fact that it's Monday morning be, be like a pass on being a grouch. Oh, well, it, it's Monday, you know, so... 
uh, I guess I'll just have a terrible attitude and you can expect that of me because the weekend's over. No. Put a smile on your face. I almost reversed the car right there and went to Chick-fil-A. I was like, <laughs> I need somebody that's going to bless my heart. I need somebody that's going to serve me and say it's my pleasure. Like I, need, I mean, I really wanted the McGriddle, but I need somebody to battle mediocrity. I, was, I got over it, but it was tough. Listen, your worship, your work is your worship. Now, listen, I know some people think, wait a minute, I thought my worship was, was what we're doing right now. I thought worship was singing. I thought worship was taking communion, praying, listening to a sermon. Listen, if, if that's your idea of worship, if that's all that you see as worship, you are not the first ones to think that way. You're not alone in that. In fact, there was a time in the life of the Israelites that they were at the height of prosperity. The nation had never done so well. They were doing so well, they got their eyes off of the Lord, and they got this false perception that worship was just clocking in for an hour on the weekend, that worship was just singing the songs, making the sacrifices, showing up with the offering, and then they could just go back to their prosperous life. And God had to bring them into a reality check. So what he did is he went up to the Northern Territory, and he found a blue-collar worker not a prophet, not a priest. He found a blue-collar worker with dirt under his fingernails, and he called a shepherd named Amos to come and speak some sense into God's people. And Amos writes this prophetic rebuke to God's people in Amos chapter 5. He says this in verse 23. This is the Lord speaking through a shepherd. He says, away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Can you imagine that? Like, if God spoke today, and we're just like saying, there's nothing that my God can't, and he's like, stop. Just stop. I don't want to hear that song anymore. And then he goes on to say, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. What was he saying? He was saying, look, it's not enough for you to punch in for an hour on the weekend and, and call that worship. Your work is your worship. How you treat people outside of the house of God is your worship. How you handle issues of justice, in your, that's, that's your worship. And listen, you will never satisfy a God who seeks your heart by just giving him a song. He loves your singing. In fact, the word says he sings over us, but that's not enough. God is looking for your heart. So, so your work is God's will, and your work is your worship. Now, if that hasn't convinced you yet to be motivated for Monday, let me give you one more. Your work determines your reward. It determines your reward. One day, every Christian is going to stand before God. And when you stand before God on that day, capital D, the day, you're going to give an account of your life. Paul the Apostle wrote about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good 
or bad. Now listen, there's a couple judgment seats in the Bible. This is the judgment of the righteous. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation about the great white throne judgment. And that's where the wicked will be judged for their sin. But aren't you thankful today that, that God's amazing grace has forgiven us of our sins and that they're to be remembered no more. They are cast into the sea of forgetfulness. So we don't have to stand before the great white throne judgment. We don't have to have our sins judged because our sins have already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. But that doesn't mean there's not a judgment for us. It's the judgment seat of Christ. And this is a judgment for the righteous. And the imagery that Paul is using here is the image of, of the Olympics. When the athletes would, would compete in the Grecian games in Athens, there would be a judgment seat that's set up high. And they would judge the athletes, not, not pass-fail, not righteous or unrighteous, but they would judge them for the quality of their work. You've seen it before in the Olympics. You know, you watch them skate around the arena, and all of a sudden they get a 9.8, 8.9, a perfect 10. And he uses that imagery of judgment to say that's what it's going to be like when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not going to be are you saved or are you not saved. It's going to be a judgment of your works. Not the first time that Paul told the Corinthians about it. In an earlier letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said this, verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation, talking about Jesus Christ, the foundation of faith, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, he says, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Again, not saying in that day you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying in that day, if all your life produced amounted to nothing, You'll be saved, he says, even though only as one escaping through the flames. With all my heart, here's what I believe is going to happen. I believe on the day there are going to be men and women who served in full-time ministry, people who were pastors, evangelists, missionaries. And I believe there will be some that stand before God on that day, and they're going to present the works of their life at the judgment seat of Christ. And they're going to discover it's going to be revealed in that moment that they, they weren't in the ministry as an answer to the call of God. They were in the ministry just because they thought they would be saved by their hard work. Or, or they were in the ministry and they had an attitude of pride. And instead of leading people to Jesus, they made it hard for people to get into heaven because they put a yoke and a burden on people that Jesus never intended for them to have. I believe in that day there are going to be those that lived a whole life, a full-time ministry, and their life's going to be placed before the Lord, and it's going to be wood, hay, and straw. And when it's tested by fire, it's just going to be consumed. There's going to be nothing to it. No, man, there, there, was nothing, there was nothing to it. It was all about you. It was all about how you felt about your own self and what you wanted, and, and there was nothing to it. 
And I, I believe just as true as that reality is, on that day, there will be people that stand before God who never preached a sermon, people who never led a life group, people who never taught a Bible study. They're going to stand before God, and their life's work is going to be placed on the altar. And they're going to recognize in that moment. When you, when you check people out at that register, it was like costly stone. When, when, you, when you served at that bank, it was like precious silver in the eyes of the Lord. The work that you did, maybe nobody else saw it as ministry, but the way you treated people, the way your character just glorified God, and the way you drew people towards him, it was like precious gold. And when your life is put on the altar before God, you're going to recognize in that moment, and I hope you'll recognize it sooner than that moment, that your work determines your reward. The work determines the reward. Listen, your employee might determine your wages, but God determines the worth of your work. What kind of impact would that have on your office if everybody thought that way? If everybody changed their thinking from, look busy, the boss is coming, to do your work as unto the Lord. How much would that revolutionize your workplace if everybody understood that it's not this person I'm working for, it's the Lord, because my work determines my reward. You might determine my salary, but God determines the worth of my work. You might determine my wages, but God creates the benefits package. How many of you know God's got some good benefits? Amen. The psalmist said it like this. He said, forget not all his benefits, Psalm 103. And he lists all the benefits. He says, he forgives your sins. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God's got a good benefit package. Amen. Go back to Colossians 3 with me because I want you to see something in, in this verse that Paul's talking about, do your work as unto the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 again, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You know why I said not for human masters? Because the verse right before that, he addressed slaves. He was actually talking to people that were slaves. Now, slavery in that day didn't look like it did in, in the blight of American history. It, it was different. It was, some people would willingly make themselves slaves because they had a guaranteed income, and you couldn't go get a job at a factory. If your parents didn't own a business they gave to you, you, you had to get a job from somewhere. So people would make themselves indentured servants. Either way, Paul was not commenting on slavery. That wasn't his point. Like Jeremiah, who was saying, God has a plan for you, even in the midst of where you're at. What Paul was saying is, here's how, regardless of how you got where you are, or if where you are is right or wrong, here's how you are to act in the midst of it. He says, work as unto the Lord, not for human masters. Now look at the next verse. Verse 24 says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, as a reward. Now listen, 
No slave expects to get an inheritance. But Paul says, God determines the benefits. You know that the work you're doing for that boss, that employer, you know that that the work you're doing for them is not really for them. You're working for the Lord, and you know you're going to get an inheritance, that God's got some provision and some benefits and some blessing that are going to be tested with fire one day, and you're going to be crowned in glory. Why? Because you worked for the Lord. Let me give you the fourth and final thing. Your work is your calling. It's your calling. I want to ask the worship team if you just slip back up to your instruments and as they come, we're going to just take a moment to to respond to, to this word today, but the Protestant work ethic is a, a phrase that was coined in the early 19th century, the Protestant work ethic. There was a book called The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism by Max Weber. It's one of the most influential and cited books in sociology. But the idea or the distinction of a Protestant work ethic goes all the way back to the Reformation. Men like Martin Luther, who came to the realization that their work is their worship, that work is the will of God, and that they would be rewarded according to their work. And so they did something. They took a word that was distinctly a Christian word, vocatio. They took that word. It means the call of God. It was a Christian word. Ministers were called by God, vocatio. They took that word and the reformers began to apply it to other occupations that were not clergy. We know that word. Translated in our language, the word is vocation. It means the call of God. And I want to challenge you today to know that your vocation is the work that you are called by God to do. If you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, if you're a plumber, if you're a farmer, if you're a stay-at-home mom, it's the call of God on your life. It's God's call. He wants you to glorify Him in the call. And here's, I, I believe this with all my heart, When I stand before God on that day, when you stand before God on that day, you should have been every bit as committed to glorifying God in your call as I am committed to glorifying God in my call. As a a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel. Now, Now listen, if you work at a place right now and you can't honor God because of the work you're in, quit. (laughs) You probably didn't think you were coming to church to get that counsel, but listen, I mean, I don't know your job. I don't know what you do, but if you're in a place and you go, man, God, God is not honored in the work that I do. I don't know what, what your career path ought to be, but I do know God's purpose for your life. You were made to worship. And because you were made to worship, you were made for Monday. 
because your work is your worship and your work is God's will and your work will determine your reward. God has called you to do a work that will bring him glory, whatever field that is. So do something that you can glorify God in.